If you or someone you love is struggling with faith in the existence of God, I'm pretty certain that you don't have a lot of faith in this book either. Uh, if you have poked holes in this book, my book, my faith, my following Christ, uh, to the point that you don't believe God exists, then I don't think beating you over the head with more scripture on Sunday is what you need. Uh, the main reason I did it, however, is because I want everybody here to understand, if you're not struggling in your faith, that you don't really need the Bible to discuss intelligently whether or not God exists. You see, you can have an intelligent, fact-based conversation. Things can remain calm. You don't have to argue or raise your voice. And you can talk with a friend or with a co-worker or with a, a sibling or even a parent or a child as to the existence of God without ever quoting him or her chapter and verse. Now, we began our series several weeks ago with one troubling statistic in America. Uh, in the United States of America, for the first time in our history... As many as one in four adults consider themselves non-affiliated with any other religion in America. In other words, 25% of adults in America do not want to be associated with any kind of organized religion, whether it be Christianity or Islam or Judaism, and the list goes on and on. The number is even higher among millennials. Millennials in this nation, 35% of millennials say, no, just leave me out of that discussion. Uh, I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not here to debate you. I don't want you to try and convince me. I'm not going to try and convince you. But hey, do me a favor. Leave me out of the whole subject of religion. Today, I told you it's part six. Uh, we've talked about science. We've talked about new atheism. We've talked about the reality that if you are growing sour on Christianity and you take that step away, you're actually stepping towards something else. And I think you owe it to yourself to examine what that something else really is. What does it mean to be a, an atheist in today's modern American culture? We've talked about a lot of things, but I can tell you that we saved the best for last. Because today, part six, this is my favorite part. This is the most real part. This question I'm going to pose to you is super simple. I mean, it is super simple. When I put it on the screen, no one's going to be blown away by its, you know, intricacy or how profound it is. And yet, despite its simplicity, hiding within that simplicity is a wealth of power, a wealth of progress, a wealth of momentum that you could gain just by being here today. Here is the question I want to pose to you. Can I or can you be honest with yourself. Can you be honest with yourself? I mean, really honest. Now, I'm about to be honest in front of you. I don't like this question. See? If I'm honest with myself, when I look in the mirror, I don't walk away with an understanding of how Amy needs to change. I walk away with an understanding of what I need to do, what I need to change. See? If, if I'm really willing to be honest, and, and I like to use the term, you know, get real. If I can get real with me, if I can peel back all those superficial layers that we kind of shroud ourselves with in modern American culture, I can really get honest with Mike. When I look in the mirror, it might reveal that I've got to go admit something that I don't want to admit. It, it may mean that I need to go try and make something right. It, it may mean that I need to humble myself. There's something else I don't like to do. It may mean that I need to let you off the hook. <laughs> if I'm honest with me, and I can be honest with me, 
today's discussion can truly mean a lot. See, what kind of world would we live in if we were all just honest? I mean, how, how would how would things change if we were just honest? You know, we're so into self-deception, and I don't get this. I don't understand why I so often want to pull the wool over my own eyes, why I so often want to deceive myself. Listen, look at this. Self-deception always takes us in a bad direction. Have any of us ever deceived ourselves and wound up in a stronger place, a better place, a more solid relationship? Have any of us ever deceived ourselves, deluded ourselves, and wound up financially stronger or weaker? Self-deception always takes us in a bad direction. There's a series of commercials that are out there, and they crack me up. It's all about being honest. It's all about saying what we mean. We put a couple of them together. I want you to watch this. Check this out. Hi. Oh, hi. Welcome to the neighborhood. I brought you this pie to see if you're weird. (laughs) Wow, that smells intrusive. It is. Did you want to come in, maybe snoop around a bit? (laughs) That's why I'm here. Wouldn't it be great if everyone said what they meant? Oh, I smell onion. I've had a wonderful time tonight. Me too. Call me tomorrow? I'm going to send a vague text in a couple days that leaves you confused about my level of interest. I'll wait a full two days before responding. Perfect. We're never going to see each other again, will we? No, no. Wouldn't it be great if everyone said what they meant? How much longer do you think this will take? I'll over-explain the process, Mm. then give you an unrealistic timeline. I'll nod in agreement so my wife thinks I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I look forward to questioning your every move. Okay, well, I'll leave your house in shambles and disappear for six months. Wouldn't it be great if everyone said what they meant? Seriously, think about how your life could be different, how your life could change almost overnight if we could just be honest with ourselves. I mean, think about the dysfunction in your family growing up. Now you're a parent, you got a child. The only way you know how to be a mom is the way your mom was a mom to you or a dad was the way your dad was a dad to you. And many of us repeat the same mistakes of our parents and grandparents because we just don't know how to be honest. I mean, how would your family dynamic have changed 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 15 years ago, if mom and dad, if the family unit could just simply be honest with each other. Think about that family member that for years has battled with addiction. How would that whole scenario have played itself out differently, more productively, with a better outcome, if we could have all just been honest with ourselves? Listen, I know this to be sure, just as sure as I'm sitting here, to be true, just as sure as I'm sitting here. There are divorced people in this service right now that if you could have been honest with yourself 10 years ago, you wouldn't be divorced today. Now, it's much easier to say, well, if they could have been honest with themselves, but that's not what today is about. Today, I'm asking you a question. Can I be honest with myself? Because self-deception never takes us in a good direction. It always takes us in a bad direction. Now, a few weeks ago, I told you about new atheism, the new atheists in our culture. One of them that I'm growing to read, I'm learning more about, is a man by the name of Thomas Nagel. Thomas Nagel set his contemporaries on fire about two years ago when he stood up in a forum that was composed of nothing but atheists, nothing but new atheists, nothing but naturalists, and dared to question their philosophy. 
One reporter described it as an all-out intellectual brawl. In other words, they weren't banging each other with their fists, but the insults and, and, and the verbiage was flying in that particular community. Thomas Nagel, in one of his books, The Mind and the Cosmos, has made some of the most honest, brutally honest statements about his own faith, his own doubts in atheism, his Honesty is refreshing. We could learn a lot from it. They're bold statements. Uh, he goes as far as to say, you know, you know how a couple of weeks ago I, I told you about gap God? That, you know, in, in, in modern Christian circles, there are some people that grew up worshiping gap God. Gap God is that God that if there's something out there that's unexplainable, then to you, that is, that is an example of God's existence or that's proof, evidence that he exists. So the more around us that is unexplainable, the more solid you feel in the existence of God. Because to you, you love to point to something that cannot be explained. Some might call it a coincidence. Others can't explain it and say, boom, look, there's God. That's a quote, God thing. Well, Thomas Nagel said of his atheist contemporaries, we're the same way, guys. We blame everything on time and natural selection that we cannot explain. In other words, just like a Christian who grew up with that elementary childhood God that frankly, I told you, doesn't exist, and we call him Gap God, he explains the unexplainable, Thomas Nagel said, we do the same thing as atheists. Now, you don't have any problem understanding this if you've ever encountered an atheist and had this conversation with them. As soon as you start poking holes in their theories, as, you, as soon as you start using their science to disprove their beliefs, what do they tell you? Oh, well, you misunderstood. This takes millions and billions of years. There's no way we could possibly measure this now. See, that's like me saying, well, it's unexplainable, so let's blame it on God. Atheists do the same thing. Natural selection becomes that catch-all answer for everything in the world that is unexplainable. In his book, he writes, and I quote, I want atheism to be true. Now stop for a moment. I underlined it for a reason. Notice, I want atheism to be true. And I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. I want atheism to be true. We're going to talk about that today. He goes on. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. I hope there is not God because I don't want there to be God. Thomas Nagel has said what many of us would be willing to admit if we could simply be honest with ourselves. In fact, I'll bet you that there's someone here today, maybe several someones, who want to agree with Thomas Nagel. You want to believe there is no God. It's not that you've examined the information. It's not that you've read all the books. It's not that you know all the science. It's not that you've had all the discussions. It's not that you've participated in some sort of debate, if you're honest with yourself, you don't want there to be a God. Because you know that if you crack open that door, if, if, if you start to look intently for an answer, is there something out there? Does God exist? You know that if that's the case, 
that that whole idea is going to come with some baggage that you probably don't want to carry around. See, there is a big difference, a huge difference between saying, look, I just don't believe it or I don't want to believe it. Again, be honest with yourself. If you say to me, look, Mike, I experienced 15, 20 years ago a faith-crushing event. I mean, it just absolutely knocked me off my feet. And I woke up one morning and realized that I just didn't have it in me any longer to believe in a good and loving and fair God. You don't think I get that. I can relate to that. To some degree, I experienced some of that. At least that's consistent. You woke up one day, it dawned on you, I just don't have it in me to believe any longer. I get that. But it is a whole different ball game to decide one day, you know what, let me just be honest, I don't want to believe in God. Here's the big question. Think about this. Did you stop believing because you outgrew your childhood faith or because honest faith became inconvenient? Which was it? If you grew up with gap God or anti-science God, if you grew up with bodyguard God or guilt God and you've walked away, I've told you already, I get it. You should. Those gods don't exist. If you've taken all the information that's out there, if you've examined all the science, if you've had all the conversations, if you've examined your childhood faith and come to the conclusion, look, I've just outgrown it and I have to walk away, I get that. At least that's consistent. But that's a far cry from deciding one day, I don't want to believe in God because if I'm honest about faith, that's going to seriously inconvenience my life. Huge difference between the two. Very few of us, you see, are on a truth quest. The reality is this, and I'll put this slide on the board. If your departure from faith was built upon will, the will involves wanting to believe or not wanting to believe, and responsibility, that's the baggage I'm describing, then more information is never going to solve your problem. You see, if you decided one day, based upon the evidence that God cannot exist and you're okay with that, let me tell you something, I'm okay with that. I don't like that because I'm a minister. (laughs) I don't agree with you because I have my faith. However, at least I can accept your consistency because you decided, look, I've examined the evidence and I simply don't believe that God's out there. But on the other side, if you walked away purely because as you cracked open that door, you began to sense responsibility, you began to have that battle of want or will, and that's why you walked away. That's a whole different ball game. You see? You need to be honest with yourself. You need to pursue truth. And look, again, if I'm honest with myself, I don't think many of us are on truth quests in this life. Do you? I I don't think many of us, if any, wake up in the morning and when our feet hit the floor, we tell ourselves, today I'm willing to sacrifice everything I hold dear in a pursuit of truth. We don't say that, do we? We're not on a truth quest. We're on a convenience quest. We're on a make me happy now quest. Isn't that true? Because, listen, while I am not willing to sacrifice all I hold dear in a pursuit of truth, I am willing to sacrifice truth for something that I think will make me happy now. Right? Listen, that's why men cheat on wives. 
That's why wives cheat on husbands. You ask a father, who are the three most important people in your world? And he will tell you, my wife, my son, my daughter. Then my question in response is, why in the world would you ever be unfaithful then? Because we, and there's something in us, and you've got to ask yourself, what is that? There's something in us that is willing to sacrifice what we hold to be true, what we hold to be dear, for whatever will make us happy in the moment. Here's the reality. We're not on a truth quest. We're on a happy now quest. You know what would make it all better? If somebody would show me a worldview that made me happy, made me feel good. If, if somebody would, would write down a series of beliefs that made me happy and made me happy now. If, if, if somebody would reveal to me, Bible, Christianity or otherwise, a moral code that makes me feel good, then I'd be happy. Because listen, if I need to change codes along the way, I'm willing to do that because I'm not on a truth quest. I'm on a happy now quest. St. Augustine said this about the truth. He said, we love the truth when it enlightens us. We hate the truth when it convicts us. Man, I have seen that in my work. We love the truth when it enlightens us. When I've got a couple sitting in my office and I do some marriage counseling, I'm not a marriage counselor. That's by any stretch. That is a real stretch. I'm a pastor, but being in this situation, I'm often in a marriage counseling situation. Let me tell you, I do two things when I marriage counsel. I try to expose truth, right? And I try and teach. See? We don't go back to your childhood. (laughs) I'm not into understanding how your relationship with your father is affecting your now 10-year relationship with your husband. I don't know anything about that stuff, okay? When somebody sits down in my office, I want to do two things. I want to teach them and I want to expose truth. Now, what happens? When the truth being exposed enlightens the couple, I am the world's greatest marriage counselor. They love it. Oh, we've never thought of that. Where did you learn this? Pastor Mike, that is the best information anybody's ever given us. But when the truth exposes their guilt and they're convicted... I've had them get up and walk out and never come back to this church. I've had them huff and puff and blow and accuse me of all kinds of things. I've had them refuse to return text messages, to stop the appointments right then and there. I can name you a dozen couples in the last five, six years that I have offended by exposing the truth and it convicted them. Now listen, you people know me. I'm not this kind of guy, right? I'm not, I'm not, that's not me. Man, I'm trying to encourage. I'm trying to teach. I'm I'm trying to motivate. I'm cheering for these couples. St. Augustine said, man, we love the truth when it enlightens us. We hate it when it convicts us. Let me take you back to your teenage days. When you were arguing with mom and dad about curfew or about the car rules or about who you were dating, think about this. Were you honestly searching for truth or did you simply want to have your way? Remember, be honest. That's kind of the theme today. Be honest. Which was it? Look, if you get on the interstate today and you drive 90 miles an hour to Savannah and a patrolman pulls you over and the trooper walks up to your window, during that conversation, let me ask you something. Are you interested in truth? Or do you want to somehow get out of that ticket? Which is it? 
What about when you're fighting with your husband, you're arguing with your wife, and halfway through the conversation it dawns on you, good grief, she's right. What do you do? Tell you what I do. I box that up, kind of bury it in the background, and I press on to prove my point. Isn't that what you do? Why is that? Because we're not interested in truth, we're interested in being right. You see, it's really not about right and wrong, or truth, or falsehood. It's about winning. And everybody likes to win. Andy Stanley said in his message on this subject, and I wrote it down because it is profound. He said, when we won't acknowledge what we suspect to be true, when we won't look for fear of what we might see, there's something else besides truth that's in play. See? If I'm afraid to acknowledge what I might suspect to be true in my, quote, supposed search for truth, if I'm not willing to look because I'm scared to death of what I might see, then I need to come to grips with the reality. I need to be honest with myself. There's something else in play besides truth. I need to be honest and say, you know, this is really not about a pursuit of truth. This is about a pursuit of convenience, or this is about winning, or this is about my feeling I'm right and you're wrong, and not vice versa. This is about my proving my point, not you proving yours. Big question, big question, if that's true for you, what is that? Where's that coming from? If I would rather not discuss it with you because I'm scared to death of what I might see, what I might hear, what you might say that influences me, that changes the way I feel, that threatens my happiness. What is that? Where does that originate? See, if you are honest with yourself, and Mr. Thomas Nagel is, you can say, I don't believe in God. I've had all the science, read all the books. I've had all the conversations. I can debate anyone. I know all of my arguments. But, but, if I am honest with myself, I have to say, I don't really want to believe in God. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 2 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The author writes, we can always prove that we're right. But is the Lord convinced? We can always make our case. We can always line up our evidence. Man, Amy and I argue, I win almost every time because I do this for a living. See? I'm good with words, at least I better be. It's my livelihood. When we argue, it's rarely about right and wrong. It's about winning. God says, we can always prove our point. I can always out-argue my wife. But I have to ask myself, is God convinced? Is that true? Does that make it so? So let me ask you. Could it be that the reason you've stepped away or someone you love is stepping away from faith has nothing to do with all the reasons you give and everything to do with the baggage you fear you have to carry if you open the door to God's existence? I thought of three things. Here's number one. If something is out there, God exists, then I'm guilty. I mean, again, if I'm just being honest, if I'm keeping it real, 
if there's something out there, then then I'm guilty. Because I think all of us could back up three years, seven years, 15 years, and we could crack open that vault of experience. And if we were to unveil that decision, if we were to show it to everyone, you would be humiliated. I would be humiliated. We would be, here's a good religious word, ashamed. And so what do we do? We try to keep it in the past. That's where it belongs. We don't want to bring it up any longer. We don't want to talk about it anymore. We certainly don't want to argue about it. We tell ourselves bygones are bygones. That's in the past. After all, I made a mistake. Nobody's perfect, we say. Everybody makes mistakes. But let me ask you something. Does that erase the guilt? Does that erase your desire that, man, if you could go back and flip it, if you could go back and change it, wouldn't you? If you could somehow make it right, or if you could somehow not do it in the first place, wouldn't you? Well, listen, if we're nothing but biology and chemistry, where's that coming from? If I open the door to the existence of God, if something is out there, then I'm sad to report, I'm guilty. Here's number two. If something's out there, then I'm accountable. There's a word I don't like. If something is out there, then I'm accountable to it. See, I prefer to see myself as unaccountable. You remember how good that freshman year of college felt? When you got out from under mom and dad. In my case, I was 10 hours from home. I could do anything and it would take weeks to get back to my mom and dad. I remember the freedom. I'm in control. That illusion of autonomy. I answer to no one. Parents, you know this. You need to teach your teenagers. Does that ever live, lead to a good place? You know, that 16-year-old that says, get out of my way. I'll do it my way. This is my life. Guess what? That always leads to regret. Unaccountable people. Very often are the ones that make the most regrettable decisions. Isn't that true? I love my accountability to my wife. I love my accountability to this church. I love my accountability to my God. Because if there's something out there, I'm accountable. And while I resist that at first, benefits me greatly. Again, where does that resistance to accountability originate? If we're all just chemistry and biology, you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like Genesis chapter 3. God said, man, I love you. Woman, I love you. I'm going to take care of you, but you're accountable to me. No thanks, God. we got a better plan. Isn't that true? Read it for yourself. Genesis 3. Where does that originate? Here's number 3. If there's something out there, then I'm... What's that next word? I'm surprised so many of you can say it. I'm, 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 I made a mistake. Some of you can't say that word. I'm wrong. If there's something out there, I'm wrong. Why do I struggle to admit it? Why do I resist humility and surrender? Don't I know that when I humble myself before my wife, that humility takes us to a stronger place? A stronger marriage, a better place. 
don't I know that when I surrender and she surrenders, don't, don't I know that that is positive? That that is productive? Well, then why in the world do I resist humility and surrender? What is it in me that keeps fighting even when I know I'm wrong? I don't know. Why don't I like admitting when I'm wrong? Why when John and I butt heads, or Jonathan and I butt heads, or Paulette and I butt heads, I don't ever butt heads with Tyler because we just hired him and I can fire him tomorrow and he knows that. Why when I butt heads with a staff member is it so difficult for me to say, sit down, I need to apologize. Why? What is that? I don't like being wrong. Here's another slide. Be honest. Be honest. Isn't it true that all your arguments against God came after your decision not to want him? Remember, be honest. Didn't we decide first, I really don't want God. And then we started gathering all that evidence. Be honest. You do not want God to be. At least admit that. At least own it like Thomas Nagel owned it. The real existence, uh, the real issue you see is not God's existence, but your resistance, my resistance. That's the issue. It's not whether or not God is. It's why do I resist? That's the question. If I'm honest with myself, that's the case. I decided not to want God. And then I started fashioning my arguments against him. But look, there's good news. There is good news. Because if you're willing, once you're willing to crack that door. Now listen, that's all I'm asking of you. And if you're a parent of a college freshman who's stepping away, you ought only be willing to ask this as well. I'm not trying to get you down an aisle. I'm not making a bid or a plea for your soul. All I'm asking you to do is crack the door. Because when you crack the door on something as opposed to nothing, you know what you do? You plant yourself on this millennial timeline, this narrative, this historical story that has been changing lives for thousands and thousands of years. You see, because if Jesus was right, if Jesus knew what he was talking about, then if something's out there, guess what? There's forgiveness. It's not all about judgment. It's all about forgiveness. Jesus said so. If Jesus was right, if there's something out there, then there's a way. Look, if I'm guilty, what I really need is not a second chance, not a do-over, Not a detailed explanation of my actions to try and convince you it's not as bad as I think it is. I need forgiveness. If there is accountability, I need a way. We've talked about speeding. What if the only car made in America had one speed? 90 miles an hour. Okay? Only car made in America, one speed, 90 miles an hour. What business would governments have putting a 70-mile-per-hour speed limit sign on the side of the interstate because that's impossible. There is no way. I get in, I turn the key, I mash the accelerator, bam, 90. There's no 45, there's no 65. It's 90 or nothing. You see, if I were accountable and there were no way, then truthfully, God would be unfair. That would be unjust. And yet Jesus said, yeah, you're accountable because God is just. But look, I've provided a way. Here's number three. If something's out there, there is truth. 
There is a standard to measure our lives by. There is a standard to build upon. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. I love this. I love this. God demonstrated his love for us. Again, remember a couple of weeks ago, Christianity did not begin because a bunch of people got together and said, okay, let's believe in this. Christianity began because people saw something that God demonstrated. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While I was guilty, while I was wrong, while I measured my life by my standard and no one else's, while I was a sinner, Christ made a way. He died for us. I thought about ending this message with uh, an invitation, you know, kind of wrap up the series, come forward, man, make this decision. Uh, but I changed my mind in the first service, and here's why. I want you to think this through. And if you'd like to have the conversation revolving around this subject, I am there. Just give me your name and phone number on a communication card. Mike, call me, and I'll do just that. What I wanted you to see today, if you're honest with yourself, is that very often with this one foundational decision, is there something out there or nothing, as well as all the other little decisions we make for moral sake, for ought to and should sake, very often we decide at the outset, I don't want it, I don't like the sound of it, and then we gather our evidence in support of it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time we've spent together in the last six weeks. Uh, these have been good subjects to discuss. I pray, God, you'd, you'd kind of burn these ideas on our heart. Uh, dismiss us with your blessing. Watch over us. Uh, God, help us find quality answers, lasting answers, truthful answers to some of these difficult questions, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, God bless you, Grace Community Church. Make it a fantastic week. I'll see you next time.